Stand fast in the liberty wherewith Christ has made us free, and be not again entangled with the yoke of bondage. And we're not going to be bound with the yoke of bondage. All right, Matthew 23, I'm going to start reading here in about verse 37, if I can find it. In the name of Jesus, Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you, Lord, for what you're doing in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Fill ye up. Uh-oh. I was reading verse 32. Fill ye up, then the measure. No, you don't want that. If he's just got a drop, I don't know what's going to happen when he has an ocean, Jackie. <laughs> if he's got a drop, what's he going to do when he has an ocean? No, he's going to be fun. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Mike, when he was just giving you that word, <clears throat> I saw a board that had little, little, looked like little rough edges. Not edges, but it looked like it's just little bumps all over that board. And as that water started flowing across you, all those little bumps just began to disappear. I don't know what they are, but they're just little bumps that don't need to be there. But the river's going to make them smooth. Oh, thank you, Lord. Has anybody got any bumps out there? All the bumps has got to go because of the anointing. Oh, that's good. I like it. Hallelujah. <clears throat> All right, here we go. I'm going to talk about the veil of the temple being rent today. You know, when Jesus was here, we, we see in the, uh, Matthew 23, you know, Jesus was, was talking to the scribes, Pharisees, but I want you to see in verse 37, you know, if you want to read uh, chapter 23, the first part, there's a lot of woes there to the scribes, Pharisees, and hypocrites. Matter of fact, it says here, Jesus condemns the scribes, Pharisees, and hypocrites. You know, he was pretty stout on the religious bunch, Okay. And you know what? I got a feeling today he would be pretty stout on the religious bunch. Okay? So when he gets down here, and you remember when Jana was praying, you know, Lord, just, just let him put, surround you with his love. And I want you to see this in 34. And he says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killed the prophets and stoned them which are sent unto thee, how often would I have gathered your children together, even as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings and you would not. And he says, your house, behold, your house is left unto you desolate. Your house. You know, when you look at that, what he was saying, your city and your temple is going to be laid flat because you would not receive his love. And as we, we see that, and he says, for I say unto you, you shall not see me henceforth till you say, blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. Amen. So I want us to look in Matthew 26. Matthew 26. Oh, thank you, Lord. I'll get there. Sometimes I'm not sure where I want to start. You know, they were, Jesus had, was coming before Caiaphas, and they were seek, seeking out, the scribes, Pharisees, and hypocrites were seeking out false witnesses to testify against him. And it, 
And it says they brought many, but they found none they liked. But in verse 60, it said, at last two came forth. In verse 61, and they said, this fellow said, I'm able to destroy this temple of God and to build it in three days. And the high priest arose and said unto him, Answer thou nothing what they say against thee, a witness against thee. But Jesus held his peace, and the high priest answered and said, I adjure thee by the living God that you tell us whether you be the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus said unto him, Thou hast said, Nevertheless, I say unto you, Hereafter you shall see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power, coming in the clouds with great glory. This man is able to destroy the temple and to raise it again in two days. We heard him say that. They didn't realize what Jesus was referring to when he said, Your house is left unto you desolate. In John 10, Jesus says, Therefore my Father loves me because I lay down my life for the sheep. He says, I have, but that word life, I want you to stick with me here. The Greek says, I lay down my soul for the sheep. I have power to let down, and I have power to take it up again. This commandment have I received of my Father which is in heaven. His soul, his mind, will, and emotion is a part of us that he laid down so we could have a new one. New mind, new will, new emotion. So we will not be living dictates of the old mind, will, and emotion <clears throat> and all its stuff. He wants us to be. Because 2 Corinthians says, if any man is in Christ, 517, he's a what? New creature. Old things are passed away, and behold, all things have become new. Amen? <clears throat> Amen. You know, we see here, and I want us to keep reading down here, and uh, I want to see. Uh, all right. All right, let's go on down. I want to go to 27. I'm going to start reading in verse 45. <clears throat> it says, And now the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachnada. That is to say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Some of them that stood there, when they heard that, said, This man called for Elijah. And straightway one of them ran and took a sponge and filled it with vinegar and put it on a reed and gave to drink. And the rest said, Let it be. Let us see whether Elijah will come and save him. Jesus, when he cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost, and verse 51, And behold, the veil of the temple was rent and twain from top to bottom, and the earth did quake, and rocks were rent or broke. And the graves were opened, and many of the bodies of the saints which slept arose and came out of their graves after his resurrection and went into the holy city, appeared into many. Now when the centurion and they that were with him watching Jesus saw the earthquake, and those things that were done, they feared greatly, saying, Truly this was the Son of God. And many women were there, beholding him afar off, which followed Jesus from Galilee. And we see, the centurion said, Truly this was the Son of God. But I want you to see something there. When did the old covenant end? See, a part of the problem we're having today is with Jewish roots and a lot of people living partly in law and partly in grace. And see, the problems, I'm, I'm beginning to see more and more. See, Galatians 4, 4 says, Jesus was born of woman, born under the law, to redeem them that were under the law. And Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we call it New Testament, but it's not really. It's not New Covenant because Jesus came to redeem those that were under the law. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are for us to look at and read, 
but they're not to us. They were written to the scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites, those that were under the law. It was not until Jesus died on the cross that the new covenant was established. So you want to know your identity, you go to Paul's writings, and you see who you are in the new covenant. It doesn't mean that those books are not for us, because many times in those books you get revelations about who Jesus is trying to show you. And when he had the Sermon on the Mount, 5, 6, and, and their, their response, who can be saved with all that? What did Jesus say? With men, it's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. See, under the law, it's impossible, right? Why in the world are we living in days where religion's trying to put a cloak of Jewish stuff back on us that they couldn't bear? Paul said to the, the whole bunch, he said, our fathers couldn't bear it. We couldn't bear it. Why do you want to put it on them? Give me an amen. And that's what's happening in the world today. I've never seen anything like it. And I'm not going to be quiet about it. Because, you know, the Bible says the last day, many will depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. I would have never thought it would look like Jewish roots. Now, I know there's people who don't, don't like this. And when they hear it over this, they're not going to like what I got to say. But I want to tell you, there is a way that seems right. But the ends is ways of death. What did Paul call it? The law, sin and death. What was its fruit? Sin and death. That's what the whole thing was to produce. Why was the law given? So it would expose sin. Show you how about sin. But Jesus came to do away with sin by one offering. He took it by himself so we could be free from sin. So we could be raised. But see, when the the veil of the temple, we're reading a book now. It's called, uh, what is the name of it? Uh, Grace the Forbidden Gospel by this South African guy. It's the second time we've gone through this. It says, Jesus rent the veil from top to bottom, but religion has sewed it back up again. Give me an amen. amen. See, what happened when the veil of the temple was rent? Jesus said, your house is left to you desolate. He says, I'm going to destroy this thing, and you're going to see it. And see, when the veil of the temple, what was that? Behind the veil was where God's presence was. He couldn't be with the people. He had to be behind them. So when Jesus gave up the coast, immediately the veil of the temple that separated God from the people was split from top to bottom, opened up, and that's when Jesus said, Come unto me, all you that are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Scripture says he came to his own. He said, I'm not sent but to the last lost sheep of the house of Israel. Every place he sent the twelve and the seventy go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But John says what? He came to his own, and his own received him not. But to many as have received him, to them gave he power to become sons of God, even though that believe into his name. Into his name. See, he came for his own, but they didn't receive him. Now, I want you to see, when the problem we're having with mixture is, when you read a lot of stuff in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and you try to fulfill it by doing stuff to fulfill it. You're mixing law with the grace. It's good to read it. But you got to read it from the new creation perspective. you got to read it from the exchange life. And then it makes sense. Are you with me? So what did he say in Revelation? I would that you were hot or cold. But since you're lukewarm, I'll spew you out of your mouth, my mouth. He don't want us lukewarm. Boy, howdy. 
I'm not getting any shouts on the radio. I know that. But I want to tell you, I believe the son wants us free. And the only way you're going to be free is to get out of mixture. I told the pastors in this last Tuesday, I said, it's probably still astounding how much of our thinking is still mixed with, oh, law and grace. In our thinking, that's what deception's all about. You don't realize it. But how much of our thinking is still mixed up with religion that we were all taught as a child or as an adult? That's not the way of, of, of freedom. And that's why Jesus was saying there has to come an end to something. See, Jesus was crucified. When he was crucified, he was crucified under the law because he was born, what, a Jew? He was circumcised the eighth day. He was crucified as a perfect sacrifice for the first covenant so all your sins and minds could be forgiven. Romans 4.25 says he was lifted up for our transgressions. All right? When he died, all our sins was taken care of under the old covenant. But it's Friday and Sunday's coming. But when he was raised, he started a whole new covenant. Well, we've been raised to walk with him in the newness of life. A brand new covenant under better promises and everything else. But I'm afraid. I was thinking the other day, I am so tired of seeing all of our friends go home too quick with sickness and disease. The scripture says, I would that you prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. Your soul is your mind, your will, and your emotion. And that part of you that's born of God, it's of God, cannot sin. But that part of you that's not is always pulling you back into that. So the key to living in health is living in your new soul, new thinking. Put on the new mind of who you actually are around the new creation, the exchange life. Amen. You know, it just hit me. And I, I, I hate to say this where it can be heard, but I'm going to say it anyhow. The minute you move back under legalism or works for righteousness, you, the scripture says you've fallen from grace. You're not living in grace. You're living in legalism or law when you start trying to perform for righteousness sake. And you know what? The Bible says nobody could ever do it under the law. You're always going to fall short in disobedience. Now, Deuteronomy 28 gives you all the little things that happens because of your disobedience, all the little diseases, all the little sicknesses, and all the little things that happen because you don't fulfill the law. Because the scripture says that what? If you keep the law and fail in just one little area, you've messed up the whole thing. Right? You can keep it perfect, but you miss one little thing, you've got it. Or you try to keep a little of it, you've got to keep it all. So we got disobedience and unbelief. Your adversary, the devil, walks about as a roaring lion. He's a legalist looking for some way to get into your life. And you know how he gets into your life? Right here. When you start thinking it's based on something you do instead of something he's done, it's an open door for him to come in. See, and what the Lord wants us to do, put off that thinking. Put on the right thinking. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. So we don't give place to the devil. Because the scripture wouldn't say we 
give no place to the devil if we couldn't give place to the devil. And I'm convinced that a lot of it is in our thinking. The Lord showed me two or three years ago. He said, there is a way that leads to life and few there be that find it. He said, it's not the walk. It's the way you think. It's the way you think. You have an old mind and you have a new mind and you have a brain. So your brain has to be programmed with new thinking. Right? When it says renew your mind, that word is rebirth. That means exchange. You have the mind of Christ, but the natural mind is not subject to God. Neither can it be or never will be. But we try to convert the old thinking and make it better, don't we? The problem is it can never be better. The problem is you've got to bring into captivity every thought to the new creation, the obedience of Christ. Think, if you be risen with Christ, set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth, for you're dead and your life is hid in Christ. And when Christ appears, you'll appear also with him glory. So what? Put to death your members. What's your mind? It's a member. Don't allow it to go where it doesn't need to be going. See? Don't let it pull you back into stuff. Because it wants to. That's not who you are. That's who you were. But see, there's something. When man died because of Adam, there's something in every one of us. God has set eternity in the heart of every single person. A divinely implanted sense of purpose that nothing under the sun but God can satisfy. It's that thing in you that drives you want to, to perform, try to get back where you were or should be. It's called religion. But it never satisfies. All the religions in the world are searching for something that can never satisfy. Only in the exchange life of Jesus Christ can you find the peace you're looking for. And what did Jesus say? You search the scriptures. For in them you think you have eternal life. And they are they that testify of me, but you will not come to me that you might have life. See, in him is life. Jesus said, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives. Let not your hearts be what? Troubled. That's why Ezekiel 36 says, I'll give you a new heart. I'll give you a new spirit. Your old heart's always going to be troubled. So why mess with it? I used to think for years, you know, that he healed my heart back in 1975 when he healed all the rejection and all that. I'm just glad he healed all that stuff. It just wasn't but probably 15 years ago I realized he gave me a new heart. He didn't heal the old heart. Why? Because Jeremiah 17 says the heart's deceitful and desperately wicked. If, if, why would he want to fix up something that's desperately wicked? It's easier for him to just give me his heart. He gives us a new one. He gives you a new spirit. And you know, thank God, one of these days, in a moment, in the twinkling of eye, it says that we're all going to be exchanged. That word change is exchanged. The, the corruptible body is going to be left here, and you're going to get a brand new one. Flesh and blood will not inherit the kingdom. Your old seed, and he said there, and if you look at it yourself, 1 Corinthians 15, he's going to give it a body according to his seed. Don't know what it's going to look like, but it's going to have hair. <laughs> and I'm going to like it. It'll be about 33 years old. I may even have a flat top. <laughs> I remember the flat top days when I had hair. See, nobody recognized Jesus. He didn't look like he did when he was on earth. 
The only way they knew it was him because he showed them his hands. He didn't look the same. Why? He had a glorified body. You're not going to look the same either. Not exactly. How many of you are glad of that? Amen. Is anybody just super proud of their body? <laughs> Don't see a hand. Didn't see one hand come up. But you know what? You're going to be happy with what he gives you. Because you're going to have it for eternity. And see, it's called the great exchange. That's what's so astounding about all this. And that's why you got to, old things has to pass away. And all things have to become new, spirit, soul, and body. And that's, that's where the peace is at, and that's where it's all come from. Jesus paid for it all, spirit, soul, and body. Give me an amen. amen. Oh, he said it's finished, and the veil was rent. The old is gone, the new has come. Jesus said to them, my meat he came for. This is why he came. He said in John four thirty four, my meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. It says in Psalms, he said, in the volume of the book, it is written of me. I come to do your will, O God. Jesus came to do the will of the Father. Two times he heard his father say, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Jesus was a father pleaser. Every other man on earth pleased himself. You know what's astounding? Paul said in Philippians 2, 20 and 21, says, I have no men like-minded who will naturally care for your state. All seek their own, not the things of Jesus Christ. Your old carnal nature doesn't care about anything but yourself. That's why we need a new nature. That's why he's given us a new nature. John 5, 30, Jesus says, My judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of my Father which has sent me. John 6, 38, for I came down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. John 8, 29, he that sent me is with me. He has not left me alone for I do always those things that please the Father. Aren't you glad we're where we are because of Hebrews 5, 8, though he was a son yet learned he obedience by the things he suffered being made perfect through his suffering. He became the author of eternal salvation to those that hear him. The word obey there means hear. For years I looked at that scripture. said he's the author of eternal salvation to those that obey him. So I've got to work hard and do all these things so I can be obedient to him. No. Good master, what must we do to do the works of God? This is the work that you believe on me. Just hear me. Obedience is, I'm living by the obedience of another. His obedience. It's not my obedience that's important. It's my hearing of what he's done for me that's important. And that's what the God of this world wants to blind your mind so you can't understand or hear the gospel. Because it's so fabulous. Oh my gosh. Where were we? And that's Galatians 4.4. 4. You might want to write this down. But, when he, but in the fullness of time... God sent forth his son, made of woman, made under the law, to redeem that were under redeem them that was under the law. Jesus said, I'm not sent but this, to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. When he said those things. Who was he talking to most of the time? The Jews. Right? Okay. Doesn't mean those things are, that they're not. He wasn't saying them. He said them for us, but not to us. So you got to see the difference after 
the new covenant was established and Paul began to write things from the perspective of the new creation. And then I lost, I still love all those. But you know what? When I see them, I don't see them as something I have to do, but something he's done so I can enjoy. Does that make sense? Okay. Okay. See, the old covenant had given Israel their natural life, the law, the sacrifice, the priesthood, the blood atonement, the temple, and where God dwelt in the Holy of Holies. It had given them the Messiah whom they nailed to the cross, Jehovah manifest in the flesh. When he said it's finished, it meant the old covenant had come to an end. Say an end. It's very important that we see one has to come to an end so the new can come. There's too much crossing over the old into the new. That brings mixture. And I think it gives the enemy access into our lives that he don't have a right to. So we got to put a stop to that mixture that's going on there. Okay. All right. It is finished. It meant the old covenant had come to an end so far as Israel or the Jews was concerned. How many of you know the, the, uh, the old covenant? The old covenant was not for the Gentiles. It was only for the Jews. So why is Gentiles wanting to go back under it? Amen. Explain that to me. It was not for the Gentiles. It was for the Jews. So why would a Gentile want to go back under something that was never written for them in the first place? It was impossible for you to go back under something that was never meant for you in the first place. You figure it. Tell me it's not demonic. I'll leave it alone, maybe. But see, that ended the law, and that ended the Ten Commandments. We're not to keep the Ten Commandments. We have the laws written in our hearts. We don't have to have the Ten Commandments and all that. They had worshipped the law, and it was a law of death that begat fear in the hearts of men. When you're under works and legalism, you're always living in fear and anxiety because you never measure up, and you never will measure up. It's not a law of love nor a law of life. Paul called it a law of sin and death. It was a law for the natural man to live under to control your natural impulses. That's why the law was given, to expose sin in the old man. When Jesus died on the cross, he took care of the sin problem once for all. It's in Hebrews. <clears throat> okay. And that's where Romans 4.25, if you want to look it up, he was lifted up for our offenses and raised again for our justification. Thank you, Jesus. That's why in the book of Acts, mostly what they preached was the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You'll find it. With great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection, and great grace was upon them all. So what do we give witness to? The exchange resurrected life. Great power. Okay, the old covenant died. When Jesus died, the old covenant was fulfilled. All of its demands were met. Jesus said, I did not come to destroy the law, but I came to fulfill its demands. And if he fulfilled its demands and died once for all, it was taken care of forever and it ended. Jeremiah 31, God said, this is the commandment I'll give you after those days. I'll put my laws in your heart and write them in your mind. And then said, I'll be your God and you'll be my people and you'll not teach everyone to know the Lord. Y'all going to know me from the least to the greatest. Woo! That's Jeremiah. And Ezekiel says the same thing. It's a new covenant. We're already in the new covenant. See, there's not one more thing Jesus is going to have to do to finish this thing up. Other than the fact 
when the day of the Gentiles fulfilled, the eyes of Israel is going to be open, and they're going to see him whom they hung on the cross. And they're going to weep, it says, as a woman weeps for her child that's lost. Their eyes are going to be open. I believe we're getting close. I really believe we're getting close. Okay. Man, what did I get to? Okay. Jesus said in Matthew 26, 28, he says, This is the blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sin. The old covenant died. Jesus died under the old covenant to fulfill its demands. The new covenant began functioning on the day of Pentecost. On the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Ghost came, that was the manifestation of the new covenant that came. Amen? Give me an amen out there. It, was, it could not be established. You remember when Jesus rose and Mary came, he said, Don't touch me, for I have not yet ascended to my Father. So he had to go and take the blood offering to the very presence of God, and it be received, and then the Holy Spirit had to come. My Father's going to send me in another form. And that's when the Holy Spirit came. And we have the new one. It had to be sealed by, not by, it says now we have a new covenant and it's not sealed by the blood of bulls and goats but the united blood of the deity and humanity. Jesus, the Son of Man and the Son of God came together to form the new covenant. You know what's so wonderful about the new covenant? It really has nothing to do with us. It was a covenant between the Father and the Son. You know what's so wonderful about that? It'll never break. You got it? We're partakers of it as we are in him. We are in him. When he was crucified, you were crucified. When you were buried, he was buried. When he was raised, you were raised. So when he's seated at your right hand, Ephesians 2 said, you're seated with him, Jackie, in heavenly places already right now. Your identity is his identity. So we live by the life of another, the blood of another, the faith of another, the everything of another. Our life is his life. The new covenant gave us the beginning of a new creation. If any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things are passed away and all things have become new. Colossians 2, 11 says, In whom you are circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, in putting off the body of sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, raised also, risen with him through the faith operation of God, who hath raised him from the dead. The old is buried and the new is come. The old covenant, according to Hebrews 8, was a covenant of fear. The new covenant is a covenant of love. And you know what? Perfect love casts out all fear, because fear has torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. So as he is, so are we now in this present world. First John four seventeen, Is that a deal or not? Why do people still want to live in fear and torment? Why do they want to go back under tormented souls, trying to get their souls to feel better? Do you see the deception that's going on? I hope you do. Romans 8, 1 and 2 says, There is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ has made me free from the law of sin and death. Notice the contrast between them both. Sin and death are life and freedom. The old covenant was not for the Gentiles, but for Israel alone. 
It was only for the natural old man. The old covenant has been fulfilled and laid aside. Hebrews 8.13. If you want to look it up. It says the old is vanishing away. I believe the Greek, if you really look at it, has vanished away. Just my thought. Why is it that men and women are still trying to get into a covenant today? The old covenant today. No one could keep the Mosaic law outside of Palestine. They had to have a high priest. They had to have a sacrifice. They had to have a blood atonement. They were required to come back once a year in order to keep under the Abrahamic covenant, blood sacrifice, the Passover. God has set it aside and everything that has to pertain to it. Now let me ask you again, why do people still want to live in fear and torment? I would like to know why, if the Son has set them free. Now I'm convinced this is how the Scripture says many are departing from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. And there's going to be a great falling away. And I believe we're seeing it happen. The new covenant has redemption. An exchange instead of atonement. The word atonement is only used one time in the New Testament, and that word atonement is exchange in the Greek. Atonement didn't take away. Atonement covered. That's the definition of atonement, to cover. Jesus didn't cover our sins. He took them away forever. We have remission of sins instead of a scapegoat. New birth instead of circumcision. It has fellowship with the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit instead of rules and regulations. It has the Lord's table instead of the Passover. We are sons, not servants. We have the law of life and liberty living in us, not sin and death. We have life, not death. We have righteousness instead of condemnation. We have peace instead of constant frustration. First Timothy 4.1 says, Now the Spirit speaks expressly in the latter times. Some shall depart from the faith. There you go. Why would you want to depart? Now... And I wrote this. If you're leaning towards this Jewish root system or this Hebrew root system, Paul said in Galatians chapter 3, Who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth before who eyes Jesus has evidently been set forth crucified among you? This only would I learn of you. Did you receive the Spirit by faith or by works of the law? Have you suffered so many things in vain if they be yet in vain? Who cast a curse on you? Why do you want to go back? This is not for you. It's for those listening on the Internet. Why would you want to go back to that? Now, let's look at Galatians, and I'm going to close. First Timothy 4, 1, many shall depart from the faith. Yeah. Yeah, First Timothy 4 and 1, 4 and 3. Many will depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits. It's astounding, saints. I tell you. Ah, gosh. But you know we have an adversary don't care. He can get you to focus off of Jesus and on you. Why did Jesus say, look unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of your faith? He's the author and he's the finisher. Not you. I'm telling you what, you got to stand. Galatians 5, 1, stand fast in the liberty wherewith Christ has made you free and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Behold, I, Paul, say unto you that if you be circumcised, Christ shall profit you nothing. 
For I testify again to every man that's circumcised, he's a debtor to how much of the law? The whole law. Christ has become of none effect. See, it's impossible for you to be a Christian and want to go back under Jewish roots and the law and legalism. Because Christ is none effect. He's not going to go there with you. Do you with me? He's of none effect if you choose to go back there. Whosoever you are justified by the law, you are fallen from grace. And that is the only way you can fall from grace. Let me say it again. That is the only way you can fall from grace is going back under law that the scripture talks about. Say oh me, oh my, oh something. Okay. For we through the Spirit wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. For in Jesus Christ neither circumcision avails anything nor uncircumcision but faith that worketh by love. You got it? A little leaven does what? And I'm saying we still have too much leaven in our thinking because of religion. That's why we need the exchange life to realize. Exchange life is a death to one. You can't have a resurrection without a what? Let me say it again. You can't live in resurrection until there's a death. Water baptism has always been intended to be a death. Watchman Nee says you don't baptize people or bury them until they're dead. (laughs) And they know they're dead. Then you can have a legitimate resurrection to walk in the newness of life. Too much stuff carrying across from the old into the new. That's why we have so much confusion and have so much stuff going on in the church today. I'm teachable. If you can show me anything different, I appreciate it. Verse 13. Now, you know, uh-oh, let me go on up here. Verse 11 says, Now, brethren, if I yet preach circumcision, why do I suffer persecution? Then is the offense of the cross cease. I would that they were even cut off that trouble you. You know what the Greek really says? So I wouldn't. I wish they wouldn't just stop with circumcision. I wish they'd just cut the whole thing off. That's what Paul was saying. For brethren, you've been called into liberty. Only use not your liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, take heed that you be not consumed one of another. This I say, walk in the Spirit and you'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Give me an amen. amen. For so many years, I tried not to fulfill the lust of the flesh so someday maybe I could walk in the Spirit. Totally opposite of what the Scripture says. If I can just put down my flesh enough, one day I'll get holy enough to be feel good about it. And, you know, sometimes I might succeed a little while and have two or three good days. Then all of a sudden something would happen and I'd have a few bad days. It's easier just to walk in the Spirit and not focus on that. Set your mind, new thinking, on things above, not on things here. Well, I hope this helped you. It sure did help me. Father, we thank you for your word, and Lord, we ask you to help us to stand fast in the liberty, and not only that, Lord, to contend for the liberty.
Do not allow legalism, religion to take away the freedom that you have in Christ. Hold fast to that beginning confidence, steadfast to the end. What does that mean to the end? It means to the end. Right? Finish your course with joy and the Holy Ghost and enjoy it. And do not allow this legalism and all this other stuff that's happening today to hinder you. Amen. All right, you're dismissed.